Hello. Welcome today. It's great to have you for our service this morning uh, or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you're watching, but great to have you with us today. Today we have um, a very special guest preacher from BUV. You've heard him before. Um, his name is Robert Heyman, and so I'd like to welcome him uh, to the pulpit this morning. Uh, he'll be preaching uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we we'll look forward to that this morning, and he brings his greetings from the BUV. Uh, also, I just want to let you know that we have a working bee on October the 23rd here at church. It's going to be a gardening focus. So if you've got some gardening tools and some green thumbs or even some brown thumbs or some yellow thumbs, whatever colour thumbs you are, you're welcome to come and join us for that working bee. That starts 8.30am on October 23. Uh, we've also uh, scheduled in our AGM finally, considering that we've got a little bit more certainty. Um, our AGM is after the service following uh, some light, a light lunch on the 21st of November. So I look forward to seeing everyone at that uh, uh, AGM. That coincidentally is also our Vision Sunday for this year. So we're uh, looking forward to that. We are due back in face-to-face -face services on the 7th of November, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so I look forward to seeing everyone back on the 7th of November, um, all going well. So uh, that gives us then the 7th, the 14th and the 21st uh, for Vision Sunday and our AGM following that service. Don't forget also that your shoe boxes are due back um, next week. Uh, so yeah, get them together. If you uh, haven't done them before, why not consider doing one? If you have done them before, you know what it's all about. And so yeah, if you'd like to bring them um, along, uh, we'd love to, to see them back. Uh, also, Kids Converge is going to be starting back in November. So because our numbers have been right on the edge and uh, yeah, we haven't been sure how, to, how we make it work with the, the 20, um, we'll be back in November. So the first and third Thursdays of the month, Kids Converge will be back. Uh, but I'm going to say thanks for coming along uh, and hand it over to Robert. Um, and uh, great thanks to the BUV for supporting us in this uh, with another message for us. Uh, may it be a blessing to you. This morning I want to share with you in, as we look at this, uh, this, this greatest message ever told, um, this greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And if we look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's Jesus just walking through the countryside and this crowd gathers. It's not a religious crowd. It's not a secular crowd. It's a crowd of everybody. It's anybody who is, who is willing to listen. This message that Jesus preached was not just for the religious. We often read this and think, this is for the, for the Christians. This is for those who come to church. But this is for those who are seeking something, who are just with inquiries, or those who are looking at Jesus and going, who is this crazy character? People who think he's... He's a madman, he's a, he's a false prophet. They're there as well. So it's, it's, it's a group of eclectic people who are, who are just there, some out of interest, some seeking, and some out of trying to prove that, that Jesus is nothing else but a liar and a fraud. And Jesus comes to this crowd and he settles them down and he starts talking about this blessed life, if you want to have this blessed life. And, and, and then this, this blessed life is, it's, 
It could be translated as a as a life that is envied by others. It's a life that that is looking um, that others look at and 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 say, oh, I want to have something in my life like they've got. I want to see what I see what they've got in their life, and and I want I want that. But that's how you could you could interpret the the word blessed and and what it means to have a blessed life. And so. This whole sermon is is really about having this this sort of life, but as we go through it, we'll see it's a bit of like it's upside down. It's opposite of what we think so often, as is the the gospels and and the whole of Christian life is is such an upside down sort of message. It seems so counterintuitive, but yet Jesus constantly teaches this that if we want to be great, we've got to be a servant. It's counterintuitive. And, and this Sermon on the Mount actually expresses the same sort of thought. So I just want to briefly go through each of the, the statements that, have, that in this Bible reading in Matthew chapter 5. And it starts off with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, the humble or the poor in spirit. Those who actually recognise who they are, they're honest enough with themselves to go, you know what, I can't make it in this life by myself. My, I am not good enough, I never will be good enough, and, and I recognise my place, that, that I need help, that I need support. Blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, sort of says to us, we accept who God is and who we are and how he made us, that we are people who are broken. We are people who are fallen, and he is the one that can lift us up. So it's honesty with ourselves, and it's, and it's accepting others in that space of saying, I'm not great. I haven't got it all together. I am poor and humble in spirit, and that, that's a spirit that I carry with me. It goes on in the, in the passage to say, blessed are those that mourn. Now, we, we can mourn all sorts of things in 2020, that what we've lost, that we, we, we lost opportunities to have family with friends and friends over, what we lost um, milestone celebrations, grandparents didn't see grandchildren, parents, you know, didn't, didn't go and, and had, to, had to give up so much to, to homeschool their children, um, they had to change their working and their, their lifestyle. Kids had to change the way they were taught, the way they did schooling, the way they did their social life. Everyone can mourn what 2020 was, but this is not what we're talking about here in, in Blessed Are Those that, that, that Mourn. I think those, it's talking about, Blessed Are Those That, that, that Actually With A Poor Spirit with a humble spirit, they actually mourn, they recognise that their sin actually costs something. One of the dangers in churches these days is that we have this, what's called cheap grace, that, that this teaching that says, God will forgive us no matter what. And that's a true teaching. But we need to add to that what it actually costs. 
what the cost of our forgiveness was, that we actually recognise that, that our sin, that we should mourn our sin because of the cost it is. We should be devastated and, 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 and not just accept forgiveness cheaply, but mourn the loss that it cost. We should hate our sin, be repulsed by our sin. We should be disgusted by our sin. And we should be repenting from our sin, which is turning from it. It's so easy to get into a trap of just going, oh, I did it again. Oh, I did it again. But it doesn't matter, God will forgive me. Yes, God will forgive you. But blessed are those that mourn their sin, that actually recognise the cost that it is. Blessed are the meek. The word here, you know, meek is, is one of those words that we struggle to translate and relate to. And one of the best illustrations of meekness that I've read and come across is comes from when you actually look at the word. It, it sort of has this, this root in a, in a horse that's been broken in and this, this powerful um, beast that is now under the control of a master. And meekness is exactly that, it's power under control. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the meek. You see, when we actually recognise that, that we have so much power, we have freedom of choice, we can choose how we live our life, we choose what we do, how we do it, what we say, what we don't say. We choose how we live out our life. You know, we've heard the saying, you know, we're living our best life. Well, what is that, you know, what's that definition? What's the judgment on that? What's the, what does the, what does the best life look like? It's power, it's that power under the control of God. It's that power that we submit to God and say, you know what? I know I have freedom of choice. I know you've created me with that freedom of choice. But I choose to submit to you. I choose to be meek and have that power under your control. When we get that understanding, it builds on the fact that we are poor in spirit, that we mourn our sin and that we then say, you know what, God, you can do this so much better than I can. If I'm going to live my best life, it's going to be a meek life. It's going to be having the power that I've got under, the, under your control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, there's a lot of people that I come across in churches and they're hungry and they're thirsty. But it's not always for righteousness. They're hungry and thirsty for an experience of God. They're hungry and thirsty for, for knowledge of God. They're hungry and thirsty for spiritual maturity. And those are all good things. And they're things we should be striving for. But we really should be hungry and thirsty for his righteousness that conformity to the will of God, 
the thing that makes us right standing with God. To not hunger and thirst after something that will come and go, an experience of God, but something that will last and change us from the inside out. And we'll talk a little bit more about righteousness later on as, as we at the end of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 7 it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is, is compassion for those in need. Mercy is one of those things that, again, sometimes it's hard to, to describe. I was listening to a preacher once and he, he told a story about mercy. It challenges me. He said, imagine you're driving home and you pick up a hitchhiker and you start, he starts telling his story of how he's lost everything and he's just hitchhiking, trying to find a place where he might be able to stay and might be able to sort of um, have a warm, a warm night's sleep and a warm meal and you invite him home to your place and you feed him and he sleeps. The next morning you have to go to work and you say to him, look, stay here for the day and we'll talk about what we can do to help you set up for the rest of your life when I get home tonight. You get home and he's gone, your TV's gone, and some of the other valuables are gone. And you go, oh. And about a week later, you see the same guy walking down the street. And you go up to him and you ask him, what happened? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I really blew it, didn't I? You offered me so much. And yet I took from you. But you know what, those things have gone, I've sold them. Now I have nowhere to go. No one will help me. Mercy says, because he doesn't deserve it, because he, he has nothing left, mercy says that you will show him compassion and offer to help him. It's not been a doormat. It's not being used and abused, but it's having mercy. Now, we can talk about wisdom and other things in that story, and, and any story will break down, but it illustrates an attitude of mercy. And, and sometimes I've come across people in my ministry that I've helped time and time again, and, and sometimes my attitude hasn't been that merciful. My attitude underneath has been, Oh my goodness, is this ever going to finish? Are we ever going to get anywhere with this person? And, and it's been a bit of a grumbling and a mumbling rather than compassion and mercy. Because imagine the attitude God has to us when we go back to him time and time again after we've messed up, when we have that habitual sin that we 
have been struggling with, that habitual attitude, that thing that we do, thing that we don't do, whatever it is, we all have struggles. You, you may be perfect, but, but I have struggles. And blessed are those who are merciful. It's sort of linked to those, to that, that um, statement that Jesus makes us, says, you know, if you forgive others, I will forgive you. If you have mercy on others, I will have mercy on you. And I don't know about you, but, but I need God to have mercy on me. And, and, the, and the, uh, the, the secret to that is being having an attitude of mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We all need to be shown mercy because we are poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a promise. They will see God. If you're in church regularly, the chosen attitude is you want to see God. Not just for an experience, but we know that in eternity we will see God. And it says here, blessed are the pure in heart. This Often we can read in our mind purity of heart. It's this inward purity. But our hearts are described in scripture as a place where evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander begin. But Jesus states clearly only those with a pure heart will see God. It's sort of echoing that, that Psalm 24 that says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Now David, in Psalm 51, pleaded for a pure heart. It's coming to God and saying, God, I can't make my heart pure. It was never pure to begin with. I, I can't make it pure, but you, O oh Lord, can. Forgive me. I recognise I am poor in spirit. I mourn my sin. Have mercy on me and create in me a clean and pure heart. That's what it means to have a pure heart. To have a heart that is single-minded. A heart that is, that, is, that is focused on God. We all have those moments where we sort of stop thinking and just our mind just drifts away. Where does it drift to? It shows it's a window into into what's happening in our inner heart, in our inner mind. And some of those places can be dark. And God's saying, give them to me. I can create a pure heart. In Matthew 
5, verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Finally, we get to something that the world values. You know, everybody wants peace. I'm a peace-at-all-costs sort of person. I, I, I will do anything to create peace. You know, that's, that's what I want. And, and I'll, 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 be, I'll happily sort of submit and, and, and keep peace. I try to be a peacemaker. You know, world peace is, you know, seems such a, in this day and age, seems such a fanciful hope. Peace in the family even sounds fanciful for some. For some, you know, peace in relationships is really hard. But I'm not sure this is what type of peace that Jesus is talking about here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. I think Jesus showed the ultimate example of what a peacemaker is, which isn't surprising. He is the ultimate example of how to live. And the peace that he brought was not between brother and sister. He says, you know, I've come to that, that relationship might struggle with me. But he came to bring peace between God and man. And blessed are the peacemakers who continue in that. Blessed are those who bring man back in touch with God. That's our calling. That's our bread and butter for the church. It's not our worship on a Sunday. It's not our giving. It's not our prayers. It's can we introduce people to a God who can change them? A God who can cleanse them? A God who forgives them and loves them? A God who supports them? A God who helps them recognise who they are, that they are poor in spirit? Yet they are loved and they are creating the image of God. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker as he comes and dies on a cross for you and for me. And that's the story that needs to be told. You know, we've just celebrated Christmas, a baby in a manger. But Christmas story makes no sense if we don't finish it off with the Easter story. The Easter story is, is, is the reason the Christmas story is what it is. Without a baby, we can't have a saviour on a cross. And without, you know, the saviour on the cross needs to be that, that baby in a manger. Our peacemaking needs to needs to not only bring people to God, but it does need to have that other relationship attitude to it. That does have that that uh, place where we actually bring peace in circumstances. And then Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. Well, finishes this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes part of it. 
It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's this word righteousness again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This, this righteousness that, that we should hunger and thirst after. Yet the Bible talks about our righteousness, our righteousness as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our, all, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. And Romans 3.10 says, as is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So, so here we are, we're hunger and thirst after something that we can't get to. And if we do get to it, we're persecuted for it. And it sort of seems to be this impossibility of, of circular reasoning almost. That we should hunger and thirst after this righteousness. But if you get there and you attain that righteousness, you'll be persecuted for it. There's this dilemma. And we know whenever there's a dilemma, the answer is always Jesus. He's always the answer, isn't it? Jesus is the answer. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He's the one that gives us the righteousness that we so hunger for. You know, the, the persecution that comes should come to us because of our relationship with Jesus, not for any other reason. You know, there's, you know, we, we hear that, you know, I hear that people think, oh, the, the Christians have been persecuted by the government. You know, they're bringing in different laws, they're bringing in different, different rulings. They treated the, the churches so hard during COVID and, and made unfair rules and, and, and they didn't really even think about the churches when they brought out rules half the time. They're just persecuting us Christians. I think that we need to be really careful about using the word persecution in that sense. But we need to be persecuted purely for our relationship with Jesus, not the way we act, not the way we want to protest. Yes, we can protest, but let's protest understanding that we are poor in spirit, that we are meek, power under control, that we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that we are living our life out and not imposing it on others. We are being merciful to others. Yes, we need to preach the good news. Yes, we need to stand up to the good news, but we need to do it with an attitude of humility and meekness and helping people to see, hey, look what I've got going in my life. You don't say that, but people should be looking at us and going, that's what I want. And that's when persecution starts dropping off because people go, well, actually, that's what I want. People look at the church as a whole and they go, uh, I've got a few problems with the church. But they should be looking at us as individuals and going, that's 
the life that I want. That's the life that I want. If we truly want a blessed life, and it starts with the way we choose to live our life. You know, this period, just before the new year, you know, I, I'm not a big New Year's resolution sort of person. But it's often a time when people look back at the last year and look forward to the new year. And we make these big statements. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do that differently. I'm going to grow in this area. I'm going to diminish in this area. I'm going to achieve this goal. I'm going to achieve that goal. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And, and they're all good things. But you want to have a blessed life? It doesn't necessarily start with the big ticket items. It starts with those small, incremental, everyday choices that you make. That what you actually hunger and thirst for today. What's your attitude to the person you're dealing with today? What's the way you're acknowledging your sin today? It's those incremental small choices that set the path forward for your life. So my prayer for you as individuals and as a church is that you will take these statements and use them as a bit of a guide. How am I going in those areas? How am I going with understanding who I am and who I was made by God? Am I really living out in with meekness? Am I really understanding the impact of sin in the world and in my life? Am I really understanding where I am with God right at the start that I'm poor in spirit? Those incremental choices that you make about how you live your life will move you closer and closer to God. Closer and closer to, to, to revealing to the world who Jesus is for you. As, as it was, as has been said many times, if you want to preach the gospel, sometimes that involves words, but most of the time, it involves the way you live your life. And people will see a difference and go, that's the sort of life I want. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who are, who are sitting and watching this. Father, I thank you for the fact that they are eager and keen to grow and to hear from you. Father, I pray that each one of them would have heard your voice this morning that as they reflect on this story this this message they will continue to hear your voice speaking into their life father may you continue to guide and bless them as they as they go this week to live out their relationship with you father for those who are still seeking you i pray that they will be able to find you in the midst of of all this that's been going on, that they will, they will be guided by people around them 
into a relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that you will bless every person here today and you'll bless this church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for inviting me to share with you and I look forward to meeting you in person in, in 2021. Thank you.